Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. All right, then. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the big tech acquisition stories that we've had in the past. Uh, And this is prompted by a recent, as of the recording of this podcast, acquisition that made the news, you know, in, in the last week, really. I think one of the funny things about tech acquisitions is there's, in a way, there's kind of two versions of tech acquisitions. Yeah. To, to me, mm-hmm. um, there are things like the uh, the acquisition that you were just talking about, the uh, Facebook purchase of Instagram for one billion dollars. Um, and, and this is kind of a this is a big deal for a number of reasons. It kind of struck me as funny this this deal. We'll get into that in just a second. I want to finish my thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and in but in this case, you have a, a situation where both companies are well known. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram has a lot of buzz going on about it right now. Plus, you know, 
everybody knows who Facebook is. Um, but then there are these other tech acquisitions where it's something like infrastructure. You know, some big company, and it's a big company, but it's somebody who makes something that people don't rush out and buy off store shelves. Right. Um, gets acquired by somebody else who's sort of in the same vein. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that investors talk about, but is not common. Um, and that was one of those things that kind of struck me as I started doing research for this podcast is you've got the big names and you go, so-and-so acquired such and such. Oh my gosh, what is this going to mean? And then you have somebody else who goes, well, that was a $25 billion purchase. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but the big news, the week that we're recording this is the Facebook acquisition of Instagram for $1 billion, a, a princely sum to be sure. Yes, indeed. Um, and, uh, it's that, got that, a lot that of might actually be, That might actually be a kingly sum at that <laughs> point. Um, yeah, I got, got promoted. Uh, yeah, the, uh, and, and for those who don't know, just so that we can get this, uh, uh, all on the table. Instagram is a photo app. Used to be iOS exclusive and then opened up recently for Android. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it on my Android phone. I as well have it on my Android phone. And it is both a, an app that allows you to take photos and apply different filters to those photos so that you can make a good photo suddenly look really bad. Or uh, that's just me making some editorial comments. Well, no. I mean, it's supposed to – the idea is that you grunge it up so it looks – it appears as though it were taken on an uh, uh, older camera or maybe it's a, a former – uh, paper photo that's gotten stepped on and rubbed in the dirt. Right. I mean, it's it's done on purpose. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it's uh, bad because it's, it's kind good of to be bad. Distressed, if yeah, you will. Yeah, oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, it does. It gives it gives things a, a neat little twist, really. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's made a lot of uh, iOS f- fans happy that they can uh, it can do some some very simple filters, color filters on top of their photos that m- give it an appearance as if it's been edited. Uh, you know, by someone who's fairly skilled in photo editing, but it's all you're doing is just choosing a filter. Yeah. And it's really, really simple, very easy uh, interface. And, um, uh, and it's also not just an app, uh, that lets you take photos, but lets you share them as well. So it's got a, a social aspect to it where you can follow people on Instagram mm-hmm. and then you can see as they, uh, upload more photos, as they take more photos using Instagram, you can see them in a feed, so that way you can kind of keep up with what's going on in that person's life. And that is the key, I think, to this to this acquisition. That's why Facebook was interested in Instagram, because Facebook is all about you know social and photos as well, but its mobile interface has not been widely regarded as being easy to use. Mm-hmm. Or good. <laughs> if we want to, <laughs> if we want to really boil it down. I mean, I personally don't have any problem with the Facebook mobile interface, but, uh, I know a lot of people who use Facebook even more extensively than I do, which is hard for me to imagine, but they find that it's just not as robust as they would like. And part of that is the photo, uh, functions. Now I use a lot of other apps that lo- allow me to automatically push a photo to various social networks, including Twitter or Facebook. So for me, it wasn't as big a deal. But for people who don't use that or don't have that option, uh, Instagram gave them the ability to take a photo, put this filter on, share it with uh, the social network. And now with Facebook's purchase, they're going to be able to share it with Facebook itself. Or maybe Facebook will just integrate Instagram's uh, uh, 
functionality into its own mobile apps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, from what I've read, the uh, the whole idea is to leave uh, Instagram sort of on its own. Yeah. Um, and Facebook actually has a reasonably good track record of doing that. Uh, I remember um, being a fan of FriendFeed when Facebook acquired that uh, some time ago, and they said, um, oh, well, we're pretty much going to leave it alone. We just want to incorporate some of this technology into Facebook as well, and that we wanted to, to get these guys for their expertise and add some of this functionality to Facebook. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people on FriendFeed were going, oh, well, this is the end. This is the end. And really, they didn't mess with it um, yeah. as much. But uh, but it is kind of funny because different companies have different uh, takes on it. Um, Jonathan and I first started talking about this podcast as being uh, our take on Instagram. But I think it's kind of been um, done in pretty much every tech channel, why they were doing it and, yeah. and all these things. And uh, what happens if you don't like it? There are a lot of Facebook uh, people who don't like Facebook taking over Instagram because they, uh, um, you know, they just said, well, they're going to ruin it. Kind of like they didn't like the Facebook Spotify partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there have been, uh, lots of, well, if you don't want to use Instagram anymore, uh, here are some alternatives. I installed a couple of them like StreamZoo and Pixlr-O-Matic and some of those. And they, they sort of do the same kinds of things. There are all sorts of alternatives if you don't want to use Instagram anymore. But, you know, I think I felt like this would be an opportunity to talk about some of these these acquisitions in the past because um, they've all taken different kinds of turns. Um, some have been very hands off. Some have been very hands on. Some have succeeded. Some have flopped miserably. Yeah. Um, so and, we, we wanted to talk about some of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and we've got a whole bunch here. Uh, I want to I want to credit someone before we get too far into this, because okay. a lot of the. Pretty much all the information I pulled, mm-hmm. I pulled from a spreadsheet that uh, a Wired writer named Andy Bayo uh, created. He he created this amazing spreadsheet where he he just sort of uh, trolled the internet, not in the negative "you stink" kind of way, but rather the in grabbing the fishing sort of way, right? Getting all the information you can for info about various big tech acquisitions, and these are the ones that are really. The kind that that get the notice of users because it's the the recognizable brand names, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but he pulled them all together, and he went so far as to even compare how much the reported acquisition amount was versus how many users the service that was acquired, how many users it had. Uh, he broke down what the cost per user was mm-hmm. based on that information, and even how many employees. The service had and what the cost per employee was, because when you think about it, these acquisitions, some of them like Instagram, that's a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Instagram did not have a lot of employees uh, that 13 employees, according to Andy's uh, research. Mm-hmm. So 13 employees and a billion bucks. He estimated that that was about seventy seven million dollars per employee. Now, that doesn't mean that each employee of Instagram is is taking home a cool seventy seven million, because the CEO and the head of Instagram are taking down about half a billion dollars together. So that's so about fifty percent of that purchase price went to the uh, the guys in charge of Instagram. But still, you're thinking that's like winning the lottery. You know, yeah, you're working is. you're working for this. You're working in a small tight group. And you get acquired for a massive amount of money. That's kind of like that was the dream of the whole dot com bust too, 
Yeah. There are a lot of companies that were starting up that were trying to be really small and nimble and get acquired by bigger companies. Mm-hmm. And some of the uh, some of the stories we have, some of the um, the acquisitions we can talk about happened before the dot com crash, in- including yeah. a, a couple from Yahoo that I wanted to talk about. Okay. So back in 1999, Yahoo made uh, two really Big acquisitions. Yeah. Uh, the first was in January of 1999 when Yahoo purchased GeoCities. Yeah. Now GeoCities was sort of a, a place where you could build your own web page. Yeah. And, uh, and it was laid out like a city. Like they had neighborhoods and everything and, and it was kind of a, uh, it was kind of like the place where people would build a website before there were really social networks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, Maybe some of you don't remember necessarily what uh, what the World Wide Web was like. I was going to say the Internet, but let's get, stick with the World Wide Web. Yeah. Um, back in, in the mid to late 90s, um, people didn't necessarily uh, intend to go – I mean the Internet was still sort of a new concept for people and they wanted to know what can you do with this. Yeah. I mean email is a fairly reasonably easy concept to understand. Yes. Um and, you know, there were others that were more difficult, things like um, Usenet, for example. Yeah. Um, Data- and then, databases that weren't the most intuitive yeah. uh, as far as user interfaces are concerned. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at the time, GeoCities was kind of a, a, a neat deal because it allowed people to create their own websites without having to learn how to code HTML. And there yeah. weren't a lot of tools um, you know, things like uh, WordPress.com or Blogger or, you know, or, the journaling sites, which is, I think, sort of what a lot of GeoCities pages were like. Or even WYSIWYG editors. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which is Dreamweaver what, or uh, yeah. before that, Go Live or so, even, even PageMill, stuff like that. And WYSIWYG, just in case you don't know, is what you see is what you get. Yeah. Where the edit that you're making on the screen you, what you're looking at on the screen in your edit mode is you can be reasonably confident that's what's going to show up if you were to navigate there through a browser. Mm-hmm. Back I, in the old days, we had to do everything by code. Yeah, well, I, I should clarify too because I was using some WYSIWYG editors back in the late 90s. Yeah. But they, for the most part, they were, they came in two flavors. Um, fairly trustworthy, but very expensive. Uh, like, like Dreamweaver, like hundred, a couple hundreds of dollars, or, uh, you could, you could buy, um, there were a couple of them that were, you know, in the 40 to $50 range, but they inserted junk code and the pages would break depending on what browser you were using or sometimes not depending on what browser you're using. Um, and, uh, they were just, and you'd have to do this and upload it to a server. Not everyone is comfortable with FTP and, and knowing how to do this. And GeoCities was sort of a pioneer in this space. Yes. You know, Hey. Throw this content up there and make new friends in your neighborhood. Okay. So the acquisition went for reported about oh three point five seven billion dollars. Yep. Three point five seven billion dollars, people. That's that's three point five seven times more than the Instagram acquisition. And those were in you know that was a, a about fifteen years rounding off. Yeah. And earlier, this, so, so that was that was significant. So here's the problem: is that GeoCities that was probably right at the peak of GeoCities popularity. Yeah. Uh, and then before too much longer, there was a shift in the way people use the web because before the dot com crash, a lot of the websites on the web were very static. Mm-hmm. So you would build a web page, and it would pretty much stay that way 
for months at a time. You wouldn't necessarily add new material because it was kind of a pain to do it. Mm -hmm. And really, most people weren't thinking of the web in that sense. They were thinking of the web kind of like a book. You would go, you would read a web page, and just like if you were to read a book, you wouldn't go back necessarily unless you just truly enjoyed the web page. But there wouldn't be any new material there because it wasn't dynamic. Mm -hmm. But that began to change right around the same time that Yahoo made this purchase. And, of course, today, GeoCities no longer exists. So that's a $3.57 billion purchase that eventually fizzled out. Now, mm -hmm. it stayed around for a while. It's yeah. not like it, it's not like it died immediately after Yahoo purchased it. And, uh, Yahoo got more community oriented as a result of it. Yeah. I wouldn't say that, that it was a, uh, a complete failure on Yahoo's part in as much as, um, the idea really, uh, of GeoCities really did propel things forward in the social space. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, in a way, you go, okay, well, they spent a lot of money and then the service shut down. Yeah. In, in that, in that regard, you know, strictly on that place, then I, yeah. I know that whenever you look <laughs> at, at Yahoo as an analyst today, because Yahoo is a company that has, right. has been struggling mm -hmm. over the last couple of years, um, and you start looking back on deals like this, it's very easy to point fingers. Sure, but, sure it is. But it's even easier to point a finger at Yahoo's other purchase in 1999. Ah, yes, Broadcast.com. Which was a an internet radio company. Broadcast.com was uh, – so back in the 90s uh, – there were there were a couple of people who were thinking about the possibility of broadcasting radio over the internet, mm -hmm. and it you know started looking into what they would need to do in order to do that. And eventually, this uh, company began um, the company that would become Broadcast dot com, and uh, uh, had a, a fellow eventually leading it named uh, Mark Cuban. I feel like I've heard that name somewhere. Before. Yeah, you might have. Anyway, Cuban he. Uh, he was leading Broadcast.com when Yahoo approached to purchase the company for a amazing $5.7 billion. And when I say amazing, there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, that's, that's a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. But second of all, the, uh, the company had about, according to, to Andy over at Wired, mm -hmm. had about 520,000 active users. Yeah. So, just over half a million active users, $5.7 billion to essentially acquire those half million users. Mm -hmm. um, keeping in mind that, you know, the idea was that these services would be rolled out into other parts of Yahoo and become a bigger role. Yeah. But, um, but still, if you were to break that down as Andy did, uh, I like to call him Andy, uh, as Andy did for, uh, for the purposes of his article, he determined that that means that they spent almost $11,000 per user buying that that company yeah and um uh so that's you know that's just it's crazy how how much money that is i mean it's for per user like you, you could have walked up to each person and said if i give you 10 grand will you come to my site every day <laughs> and the person would be like yes <laughs> and that might have been more effective because the broadcast.com features they did get rolled out into some other yahoo features but yep. most of that stuff no longer exists either N not as not as it did then no, no it, it got incorporated into other things it's it's essentially lost now yeah. like it's it's so buried in other uh, other products that you can't even recognize it anymore and yeah. and i think the yahoo broadcast acquisition by many is regarded as the Biggest mistake in acquisitions ever, and that's up to, against some pretty stiff competition. Well, it did give uh, the Dallas Mavericks another shot yeah. since Mark Cuban bought them and 
has spent a lot of money on them. Yes. They've gotten quite good. But yeah, $5.7 billion for that company. And, um, uh, uh, I should add that, uh, there's something else we need to talk about just very, very briefly. I'm just, mm-hmm. I just want to address this. Sure. Some mm-hmm. people may be thinking, hey, what about AOL and Time Warner? That was, uh, that was, that was, often talked about the worst deal in tech ever. Uh, but we should point out that was a merger. That was not an acquisition. It was a merger and it was a uh, it was sort of a tech non tech thing. Yeah. Because so, uh, you know it merged, if you will, the uh, uh, digital world with the um, old media world. O L D E Old Media. Yes. Um uh, uh, uh. But uh, you know if you if you think about it though they were Yahoo was at least thinking ahead. Uh, the idea of streaming media, the idea of uh, social uh, websites, they they were uh, able to identify these things, but they were you know pre dot com bubble bursting uh, situations too. Yeah. Um, yeah, because this was the the late you know nineties, which was right before the bubble burst. It's definitely frustrating in a way because you look at what Yahoo was doing and you think they were moving in the right direction. Yes. It was just. It was just slightly the wrong. It was by by the, by the the number of like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. If it had been a year and a half later, after the dot com bubble had burst, and Yahoo, assuming that Yahoo had been able to weather the dot com bubble well enough, and I mean the company's still around today, so even after making these massive deals, um, they might not have had to spend as much. Yeah, and they might have might have been able to invest in similar products mm-hmm. yes. that would have been more attuned to the. And I hate to use this buzzword, web 2.0 approach mm-hmm. to the way the web works. Well, should we stick with Yahoo then? Sure, we can talk a little bit more. Uh, yeah, they, they've made some other purchases that actually did quite well for them, or at least are, are still very popular, like Flickr. Yes. That's, yes. uh, you know, the photo sharing and, uh, photo album, uh, database site. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Flickr, I think, is one of the more popular ones that's out there. Yeah. Um, although I did read in, uh, and my research that uh, some people have been upset that Yahoo didn't really do anything with Flickr. Like they were expecting them to take it the next step and Flickr sort of stayed the same and yeah. hasn't really innovated much. That's since true. It hasn't changed much. And, and as other social networks like Facebook and Google Plus have become more popular and even Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that photo sharing and photo storage stuff has been offloaded onto those. Mm-hmm. So sites like Flickr and also Google's Picasa, which mm-hmm. never, I don't think was ever anywhere near as popular as Flickr was. Right. Um, but Google's Picasa also have, uh, have sort of taken a hit. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess Google Picasa less so because that is what Google Plus uses as its foundation yeah. for, um, for photos or but, photo bucket, one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a contrast, we're talking uh, 1999 when Yahoo was spending billions of dollars for these acquisitions in yep. 2005. And I would argue that Flickr, in a way, uh, is probably way more popular than either of those two products were that they acquired for multi-billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, Flickr was acquired for $30 million. Yeah. Much- so that's a big – Change. Yeah, a much more modest uh, acquisition compared yeah. to the billions of dollars they spent uh, just a few years earlier. And I think, yeah, I think that was much more wisely spent. Yeah. In that case. And the uh, the acquisition the same year of Delicious for thirty million dollars too, which I think was done again with the best of intentions. Yeah. The link sharing sites are still popular. I think they were in ways forerunners to uh, Twitter. Yeah, uh, because they were supposed to be social link sharing sites, but I, I use mine more for, hey, I want to save this. 
because uh, I'm going to look at it later. Let me save this. And I don't really want to share it with anybody because it's, you know, I just want to remember to read it. Yeah, there <laughs> there are a couple of these link sharing uh, sites that are on these acquisitions that we can talk about. And, but, uh, and, and a lot of them have kind of faded away. There's still, yeah. there's still, um, I think Reddit is really the only one that I, I habitually go to now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't tend to use dig anymore. Yeah. And I don't, don't really use stumble upon and yeah. I don't really use delicious. So, well, delicious was one of the early sites like this. Yeah. And I think, uh, Yahoo had intended to make something big out of it, but they ended up, uh, planning on shutting it down until, com- uh, people complained about that so much that they, uh, found someone to, uh, to let it go to. Yeah. Um, so it, another one of those things that's just sort of, you know, passed right on through. So why don't we talk about some other, is there another company you would like to move to from Yahoo or do you want Not me to necessarily. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. 
In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How about we talk about eBay? Okay. Because eBay's also made some pretty big acquisitions in the past. Uh, one of them was in 2002 when eBay bought PayPal. Yeah, that was the most uh, synergistic of all of these, if you'll pardon the uh, corp speak. Right, yeah. It's the one that fit the best into what eBay does. I mean, PayPal, obviously, if you want to have a, a service that allows you to set up an account to purchase things online and you have a site that is all about selling things online, then there is clearly some... Uh, some complimentary overlap going on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so eBay bought PayPal for about $1.3 billion. Um, and uh, sounds like a lot of, of uh, money. I mean, it is a lot of money. But sure. there were over 15 million users of, of PayPal. So there was already a big established user base there. It was much different from broadcast.com, mm-hmm. where it only had the half million. So that that purchase actually seemed like it was a pretty good idea. Yeah. You know? And uh, there are plenty of people who still use PayPal. Now, granted, PayPal over the last couple of years has had a couple of uh, controversial news stories pop up, mm-hmm. generally about uh, – there's been some about PayPal uh, offering money – not offering money, but PayPal uh, 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 administering over payments to illegal sites or sites that are selling uh, – uh, what uh, – pirated stuff or mm-hmm. um, uh, that kind of thing. And then there's also uh, some other arguments about PayPal requiring people to go through some pretty crazy steps in order to get money back. Like you've heard the story about the violin, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a guy purchase a viol- purchases a an antique violin and uh, it is truly an antique violin for a couple of thousand dollars, as I recall. And then is for some reason or another unsatisfied with the purchase and wants the money back. But PayPal says that in order to get the money back, they have to have proof that he destroyed the violin. He has to actually break it because mm-hmm. PayPal doesn't want to refund money and then have the guy just keep the violin anyway. And then he has the violin and the money. So the guy goes and takes pictures of the destroyed antique Violin. Mm-hmm. So something that a lot of people would argue has a lot of intrinsic value in it and should not have been destroyed was destroyed because of this, this, uh, procedure, this whole, this policy that PayPal had. Right. And, uh, so that's an example of some of the bad press PayPal's had in the past couple of years. Uh, but still, it's, uh, again, a very popular way of, of, uh, uh, processing transactions on, online. Now, eBay also made some other uh, acquisitions over the last few years. In 2005, eBay purchased Skype, the VoIP client, uh, voice over internet protocol client, uh, for $2.6 billion. And this was one that had people scratching their heads. Me included. Yeah, because the question was, why would a, an online auction site purchase a VoIP company? And, yeah. and there were, there were some talk of possibly incorporating it into the auction, uh, uh, the auction features itself so that potential buyers could speak with sellers 
while they were considering bidding on on objects, but that never really happened. And um, uh, also, eBay eventually started to move a little further away from the whole auction model Mm -hmm. and move more toward almost like an online retail center. So more like Amazon than it used to be. I mean, they still do the auctions as well, but that's not necessarily their primary focus anymore. Right. So Skype uh, seemed like it might have been a good idea to eBay early on, but I think a lot of people now think of the eBay purchase of Skype as one of the big mistakes in tech acquisitions. Yeah. And eventually eBay sold Skype off. Now, first they just sold off uh, the controlling interest to uh, a group of investors and then eventually divested themselves of pretty much all of their interest in Skype uh, to a, a little company uh, that uh, you might have heard of. It started off in a garage. Uh, it's called um, – oh, they like conquistadors. <laughs> Microsoft, that's it. All right. So, uh, yeah, just, just to provide some context – um, when eBay acquired uh, Skype in 2005, it spent 2.6 billion dollars. But uh, when when um, Microsoft bought it in 2011, uh, Skype's value had increased. Uh, Microsoft was willing to pay 8.5 billion dollars. Yeah, that's um, eBay did well with that auction. Yes, it did. I, I think I think actually Microsoft sniped. The, uh, that that at the very last second. Yes, uh, they they are. I would say eBay is a power seller. Well, you got to think about it. I mean, Skype is a very popular voice over internet protocol uh, service, right? Yeah. And, and that's a very valuable asset to have. And Microsoft had to be worried about other companies possibly jumping in there. Mm-hmm. I can think of two right off the top of my head that would have been very interested in Skype. Oh, Face- yes. Facebook is one. Yep. And Google is the other. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely so. Um, and, uh, possibly somebody else named after a fruit. Um, Apple. Commodore is not named after a fruit. <laughs> uh, there was one other acquisition, uh, that eBay made, and this kind of ties into what we were talking about with Delicious and Yahoo earlier, which was StumbleUpon. Oh, yes. It's another, uh, discovery site, and they, they bought it for, uh, $75 million. And, um, yeah, that's another one that kind of, I mean, it still exists. Yeah, they they haven't. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say they've necessarily mismanaged it or anything, but it hasn't. It's sort of neither taken off nor bombed. It's just sort of still there. Yeah, it, you know, there's sometimes where you you encounter multiple companies trying to compete in the same space, and you might have one or two uh, front runners, and then everyone else is just kind of there. And this is one of those cases. Okay. So yeah, where I would say so? Where would we want to go from here? Well, you know, it's funny because. Uh, as we've been talking, I, you know, we had a, quite a list of, of these, um, some that I collected and some that you collected. And yeah. um, these are all kind of juicy. So we can, you know, uh, talk about uh, – should we talk about the 800-pound uh, gorilla? Sure. Um, being Google. Oh, OK. Yes. Um, I was like, yes. Well, they, <laughs> Google has a, a pretty good track record of uh, – well, there, there are some companies that are more acquisitive uh, than others. Let's say that. Acquisitive? Acquisitive. Nice. Um, yeah, i got to use that degree in English for something. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, they've, they've, they pick up more than I would say just about any other tech company. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they tend to be more, uh, let's say, flamboyant purchases. 
like, for example, Blogger back in 2003, mm-hmm. uh, which they picked up for $20 million. Yes. Um, this was, that was a good time. This was an example of a, a good purchase at a good time. Yeah. Because that was right as the, uh, the blog thing began to take off among, I would say, the masses. Yeah, it's when it became kind of a phenomenon. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I would have if he hadn't. Um, and you know, they added, they continued to add other, uh, Google is good at picking out services that complement existing services and, and, and companies they think that will fit well within their portfolio, like Picasa. Yeah. Um, in 2004, which they acquired for five million. Um, you know, Dodgeball in uh, 2005 was also on, uh, Mr. Bayo's list. I, I don't know him well enough to call him Andy. So yeah, Dodgeball. 2.5 Dodge, million. Dodgeball and another service, Jaiku, which they purchased in 2007 for 12 million. These are, these are good ones to point out because these are failures, really, for Google. I, I Essentially. Don't, I don't know that if, I don't know how Google portrays them, right? But I know that, you know, from the outside, they look like failures because You've got Dodgeball, which, uh, which a location sharing. It was a location sharing application mm-hmm. uh, company, and in fact, the people who were behind Dodgeball eventually left Google and founded a different company mm-hmm. called Foursquare. Wait, don't you play that with it? Oh. No, it's a different kind of Foursquare, not the game, but the, the the check-in service. So Dodgeball never really went anywhere, and in fact, the the people behind Dodgeball were very frustrated by this, which mm-hmm. is why they went on eventually to. To found uh, Foursquare because that was uh, probably something closer to what they had imagined when they started Dodgeball than what it turned out to be. Right. Uh, Jaiku is a short messaging service kind of sharing uh, uh, model, sort of like oh, there's another company that does this. Um, Do we? Oh, that's right, Twitter. Yeah, so Jaiku was uh, Google's. Well, Jaiku was Jaiku's answer to Twitter, but Google purchased Jaiku, and then uh, or Haiku if you prefer. Yes. But, uh, that never really went anywhere either. It had, it had its, you know, dedicated users who loved it, but it never really grew like Twitter did. Twitter exploded and Jaiku sat there. And so that, um, Jaiku's no more, right? Yeah, I, it, I went the other day, uh, actually before we discussed this and it's, it is gone. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. 
and you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, perhaps perhaps one of Google's most famous, perhaps the most famous acquisition Google has made, besides uh, Motorola Mobility, which we're not really covering in this, uh, is YouTube. Yes, 2006. $1.65 $1.65 billion. Yeah, and that's a, that's a lot of clams. But then no, YouTube dollars. had, yeah, YouTube had a lot of users, like over, over 34 million active users when, uh, at the time of the purchase. And it, it was, you know, Google was looking ahead saying, in a way, YouTube is also kind of a search engine. Yes, it is. People go onto YouTube and they, they will, they might, you know, browse around, but often you go in and you, plop your cursor in the search bar and you type in some stuff and you hope that the videos that come up pertain to what you were typing in. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it made sense in that in that respect. And uh, in fact, eventually, you know, Google had its own Google video yeah. uh, service for a while and then uh, they eventually um, got rid of that. And so YouTube is just the, the whole Google video thing now. Uh, but it's uh, that that's one that was very controversial for a while because uh, while the $1.65 billion wasn't the largest amount of money spent on a tech company, and it wasn't that they didn't have a lot of users, uh, there was another problem, which was just that YouTube really wasn't making a whole lot of money. Like, it's hard to make money when you're dealing with a service that's that's that big. Well, uh, YouTube has another thing that's uh, playing against it in making money, which is um, that it requires... Uh, I was going to say boatloads. Let's go with maybe shiploads of bandwidth. Yes, and and not only that, but servers. Yeah, a lot of lot of physical machines are required to keep YouTube going. And, and video video is uh, resource intensive. Yeah, um, it takes a, it uses a lot of data, 
And uh, especially now that they've got HD, high-definition uh, high video takes up even more space. Yeah. So you've got lots of, of hardware using lots of electricity and lots of bandwidth, and somebody's got to pay for that if you're going to keep this stuff up. And if you, if the users aren't paying for it, then the company is. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, a startup may not have been able to handle paying for it at the way that YouTube has grown, but Google can. Yeah. And they can sell ads alongside it. Yeah. And which that, they do. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, we talked about in our YouTube podcast, we talked about how, uh, these, you know, the, the company ends up seeing something like 48 hours of material uploaded every minute mm-hmm. on YouTube. It's probably even more than that by now. Uh, so when you're talking about that level of, of, uh, uploads, you know, that quantity that's coming in, you need to have a nice big company behind you to make sure that there's a, uh, a foundation, a solid foundation there. And, uh, you know, YouTube is definitely one of those things that have, has just become increasingly popular over the years. So you could say that it's a great acquisition in the sense that if it were to go away, that would be bad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's probably still one of the ones that, that vexes Google the most in that, Balancing the revenue issues versus the maintenance and overhead issues. Plus, there are all the lawsuits that are related to YouTube that have to do with uh, intellectual property theft. Yeah. Where you've got all these companies that are accusing Google and YouTube uh, for, of, um, of harboring pirates and allowing people to upload pirated or, or at least uh, uh, unlicensed copies of content to YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, – so we've been seeing a lot of that in the news recently too about the the stories about the court cases involving uh whether or not YouTube knowingly harbored material that violated intellectual property rights mm-hmm. or if uh if the company was acting in the best interests of both its users and intellectual property rights owners by requiring people to take down videos or taking down the videos for them that violated those policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, it's a big mess right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to talk about the, uh, the, uh, uh, some of the acquisitions that we don't necessarily think about as being exciting. Excellent. Uh, one of those is, uh, what happened just last year when we we're recording this 2011, uh, in 2011, Texas Instruments bought National Semiconductor. That for, fails to excite me. Yeah, ex- exactly. This is not the kind of thing that, um, you know, if, if Apple bought Facebook, well, I mean, I'm just saying like two big names that lots of people are interested in. Yes. Uh, people love and hate both of these companies. Texas Instruments and National Semiconductor, that's, that's big news. That's a big yes. deal. $6.5 billion, that's a lot of money. Yes. But it doesn't make the same kinds of headlines as two popular, uh, n- you know, companies that make the news every day and people yeah. spend money on and. Yeah, it lacks that emotional investment yeah. that yeah. comes from, uh, these other deals that are not as big when you look at it from a monetary standpoint, but they seem to be bigger because they are impacting stuff that we interact with on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Then there was 2009 when Oracle bought Sun Microsystems. Oh, I remember uh, 7. that. 7.4 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was huge news for anyone who knew what was going on. Yeah. Like there, yeah. there were engineers who were freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, that, that calls into question a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. Um, Larry Ellison, uh, head of Oracle is another one of those. Um, He's a character. 
That's a really nice way to put it. We're going to have to do an episode on Larry Ellison, and I think half of it will be bleeped out. Yeah. <laughs> and those will just be the quotes. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's Yeah, he's, he's definitely a, a character, and a lot of people who are uh, fans of Sun, the traditional Sun uh, Microsystems company, uh, were very upset that yeah. Oracle was, was buying them for a number of reasons. But there was a lot of technology behind that. Uh, too. Some of it open source mm-hmm. um, that they were really afraid that Oracle was going to, to do away with. Um, I remember Hewlett Packard buying Compaq mm-hmm. in 2001 for $23.5 billion. Yeah. Uh, I was a little I was a little stunned by that one. Yeah. Um, and then we got stunned again when when HP talked about spinning off its uh, its PC business. Well, then, of course, you know, Hewlett Packard bought 3Com for $2.7 billion mm-hmm. back in 2009, which ended up being a big meh. Um, and it didn't really, it wasn't a thing for a lot of people. Um, you know, uh, trying to look for something else that people might have uh, been interested in. Oh, I do have uh, when JDS Uniphase bought SDL mm-hmm. in 2000 for almost $41 billion. That's a lot of that's, that's a lot of money. That's a big chunk of change. But again, and it's a huge uh tech acquisition, but it's not the kind of thing that for a lot of us, uh those of us who listen to this tech podcast, um you know, are more interested in sort of the uh tech and people thing. And yeah, yeah. it affects a lot of people, but it's on the back end of things, right. not in- on indirectly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so a lot of us are going, well, okay, yeah, that's interesting. That's a lot of money, but how does that affect me? And for a lot of us, it's it's not something that that uh, we notice or touch on a daily basis. Yeah. So uh, I did want to. We'll close this out really quickly here. Okay. But I did want to say that um, we have to talk about News Corp and MySpace. Okay. Because this is another one of those uh, those moves that at the time seemed like it made sense, but as Kinda, yeah. as it played out, it just did not work. And that was that. News Corp is the parent company of, of Fox News, among other companies. Yes. And uh, News Corp purchased MySpace in 2005 for $580 million. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, MySpace was – That seemed like a steal. It was incredibly popular. It was the online social network. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the place where you would go if you wanted your eyes to bleed and listen to terrible music because that's what everyone seemed to do with their profiles. But that was user behavior not the fault of the service itself. Exactly. And then Facebook came around. And most people, I think at the time, maybe not most people, but a lot of people at the time bet on MySpace beating out Facebook because it had a head start. Facebook was, uh, was only open to college students when it first started. And it just, you know, it seemed like it was, it's, it didn't seem as feature rich as MySpace did. So how mm-hmm. could MySpace lose to Facebook? Very effectively is the way that Turned out, uh, so News Corp sold uh, MySpace off uh, in 2011 for 35 million dollars to Specific Media, which was a group of investors. So from 580 million when they purchased it to 35 million when they sold it, uh, that's not a success story. And you know, News Corp did try a couple of times to revitalize MySpace. You know, they tried to make it more of a music discovery kind of social network. But by then, I think it was too late. Because uh, MySpace was one of those places where bands, a lot of bands had made their web presence known. Absolutely. Uh, they used, uh, because it had great tools. If you mm-hmm. were a band and you wanted to share some of your music and build up a, a, a fan base, it, it was a good resource. But there are other resources online now that do that just as well 
or better in some cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just was too little, too late. And so News Corp sold it off for $35 million, eating that loss. And uh, and we'll see what specific media does with it, mm-hmm. if anything, or if they just end up cannibalizing it and turning it into something else. We, honestly, we don't know right now. And uh, just to, uh, one last little note, um, HowStuffWorks.com. Oh, right. We were acquired, I've heard of them. We were acquired uh, several years ago by Discovery Communications. Yes. So, uh, you know, we were part of another company for a while and were acquired back uh, shortly after I joined, um, within a year that I joined, I think, or maybe a year and a half. Um, Two months for me. Yeah. So uh, we we ended up getting acquired by Discovery Communications, and now we are part of that company. So, uh, yeah, it's um, – and it was interesting, you know. It was a it was a different culture, but it was very complementary to what we already had. Mm-hmm. So I think, as far as transitions go, ours was probably one of the smoothest I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, I've seen other companies where you know they get acquired by another one, and one culture ends up dominating over the other, and it can be messy. Yeah, well, reading a lot of the uh, the transcriptions of these uh, of these acquisitions too, you can tell that some of them were. Like oil and water, yeah. and others were less so. so. Yeah, some of them went together, uh, like like wine and cheese, because I always whine and never have to eat cheese. And on that note, we're going to wrap this up. If you guys have any topics you would like us to tackle in future podcasts, uh, like how bloopers work, you can <laughs> you can write in. You can uh, send in a, a note to our email address. That's techstuffatdiscovery.com. Or let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.